Matthew seven thirteen to 14. Uh, these are words that uh, Jesus shared during his sermon on the mountainside to the people. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The sermon for today is part of the series, The Kingdom of God. And I'd like to start by asking you to think of what that means, to be part of the kingdom of God. If you've repented of your sins, if you've named the name of Christ Jesus as your Savior, if you've been baptized for the forgiveness of those sins and united with him in his resurrection, what hope you have within your heart. What a wonderful thought that is to consider. Every one of us here today have something in common. No matter where we came from, no matter our ethnic background, no matter who our family is, no matter whether we came from wealth or humble beginnings, every one of us has something in common. We are all of us pilgrims traveling the road of life to a final destination. But we're all at different places on that journey. Some are just beginning, babies and little children. And some of us are probably getting close to the end of that journey because we have a few decades of wear and tear on us. I'm glad that God has kept the, the final date from us. Otherwise, we would be pre, so preoccupied about the date when our journey ends. But make, make no mistake, that day is appointed for every one of us. And I'd like to read from Psalm 100 and verse 39. These verses I use often at graveside as I do funeral services. The psalmist says, for you did form my inward parts. You did weave me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book they were all written. The days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. The sermon, as you've seen for today, is entitled, The Narrow Way. I'd like to uh, talk first about the choice. Every one of us chooses the path that we are going to follow through life. Not our parents, not chance, not luck. In fact, I have tried to rule out the word luck in my life because I don't believe in luck. I believe in God's blessings, but I don't believe in luck. In regard to choice, I kind of like the thoughts in a poem entitled The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler 
long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had worn them really about the same, and both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I would ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Choice does make a difference, so consider your path, your decisions in life. On the one hand, there's going to be joy and happiness Wonder, amazement, eternal bliss, music, peace, and rest. Sounds good, doesn't it? And so I want to talk first about the narrow road. In Matthew chapter 7, as we read to us, it says, Enter by the narrow gate. The gate to life is narrow. And also, the way that leads to life is narrow. And Scripture says, few are those who find it. Let me talk a bit, from, or read from, from Nehemiah chapter 9, because it talks about the pathway that the Israelites followed. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 12. And it says, And with a pillar of cloud, you, that is God, did lead them by day, and with a pillar of fire by night, to light for them the way in which they were to go. Now turn over to verse 19. Speaking again to God, he says, You, God, in your great compassion, did not forsake them, the Israelites in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not leave them by day to guide them on their way, nor the pillar of fire by night, to light for them the way in which they were to go. And you, did give, and you gave your good spirit to instruct them. Your manna you, gave, you did not withhold from their mouth. And you gave them water for their thirst. Indeed, forty years you provided for them in the wilderness, and they were not in want. Their clothes did not wear out nor did their feet swell. Isn't that amazing? God's care for these people, the fact that their clothes didn't wear out, their, shoe, their sandals didn't wear out. But I want to, you to think about that pillar of fire that was there by night. All the Israelites had to do in the, in the camp was look into the sky, and they saw a pillar of fire standing there. That pillar of fire told them, God is with us. We are protected. God is looking after us. And then there was the cloud that led them during the day. 
You know, I was raised on a farm. And I quite often say I was raised with a gun in my hand because I enjoyed to hunt. I still do. And very often, I'm out long before daylight. And I have a headlight strapped to my forehead. And I turn that light on and it lights the dim trail that, that I'm following. It makes a huge difference because it keeps me from injuring my not-so-young body by falling over rocks and logs that might be in my way. You know, the narrow path that Jesus spoke of is the best choice that you and I will ever make. Isaiah put it this way in Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 8. And a highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it. But it is for him who walks that way, and fools will not wander on it. I like Isaiah's turn of phrase about the highway, that those who name Christ are able to follow. The proverb writer speaks of a highway too in Proverbs 16 and verse 17. He says, the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He who watches his way preserves his life. Now let me try and bring that down to where we live so that you have an example that talks about this road, and sometimes the cost of being on that narrow road. My example that came immediately to mind was John the Baptizer, who understood the importance of obedience and walking the narrow road of his destiny. In John chapter 6, his journey led to his beheading by Herod, and that was instigated by Herodias, who hated him, because John had confronted the two of them about their immorality. John told her that she had no right to leave her husband Philip and to live with his, I believe, his half-brother Herod. You see, they were living outside the boundary, and that boundary is marriage. And John gave them God's message about their sinful behavior. And isn't it sobering to think that these two people, Herod and Herodias, are still alive in another realm? Choices are so very important. Each one of us gets to choose. So think about the choices you make as you will live with the consequences. So the narrow road that leads to life is a good choice. But we must talk of the other part of this verse. Jesus says, The way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. So let's talk about this broad road. Let me say that if anyone ends up on this road, and Jesus says there's going to be a lot of people that are on that road and end up on that road. If anybody ends up on that road, they're not going to like the final destination. 
Because you see, some of the things that talk about the end of that road is outer darkness and, the, and weeping, wailing, despair, and the gnashing of teeth. This is not my imagination. This is written in God's words, in God's word actually spoken by Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 13, verses 41 and 42. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. This is the end of time, by the way. And will cast them into the furnace of fire. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now verse 49. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels shall come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I wondered to myself as I was preparing myself to speak this morning, in a crowd of this size, I wonder if there's any individual who's here today who might be still on that broad road that leads to destruction. Maybe through indifference, a ho-hum attitude to God's word. Yeah, I've heard all that, that before. Or is there really such a place as heaven? Is there really such a place as hell? Are you one of those people? Only you can answer that. I can't. Only you can. But if so, if by chance that you are one who has an indifferent attitude to God's word, if you don't really, if you're not really convinced of a heaven and a hell, of a narrow road that leads to life, and of a broad road that leads to destruction. If you are not really convinced, let me read to you some people who really did get convinced. In Luke chapter 19, or 16, beginning in verse 19, and this is a lengthy reading, but bear with me, please. Now, there was a certain rich man. And so, this was a real individual. Jesus said there was a certain rich man. He existed in, in the ages past. There was a certain rich man, and a certain poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores. Now, the rich man had the best of clothes. He lived in splendor every day. He had all the best food to eat, everything that this life basically could offer. To make his life pleasant and comfortable, he had. But Lazarus had nothing. And longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table, besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now it came about that the poor man died, and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, 
and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed, in order that those who wish to come over from here to you may not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. See what Jesus said here? There's the Bible. That was the Bible in those days, the Old Testament. If they don't listen to the Bible, they won't even be convinced if somebody comes back from the dead and says, don't come to this terrible place. You don't want to be there. I am in agony in this flame. Now let me tell you, that when I was 23 years old, on a Sunday evening, on the long weekend in May, I asked some preachers, what do I have to do to make sure that I don't end up in a place I don't want to be? And they opened the Bible and read that scripture to me. That very evening at midnight, both my wife and I were driven 60 miles from where we were to be baptized in the church at Dauphin, Manitoba. That was the best decision we ever made. And so that leads me into the next, the decisions we make. Many decisions and life choices put a person on the broad road. In a devotional reading that I did this past month in January, just a few days ago, Chuck Swindle, in an article entitled The Downward Spiral of Depravity, says, What you think becomes what you do. What you do determines what you become. What you become determines what your life will be like. Back to the decisions and the choices, the life choices that can put a person on the broad road. I want you to open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, where Paul the Apostle warns against moral laxity. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, there's a lot of life choices that people can make. Some do make those kinds of choices in their life. But it ends you up on the broad road and the destruction that awaits at the end. But let me single out just one, just one very prevalent life choice today. And I would ask the young people who are here, and I kind of regretted to hear that our, many of our young people are away today. I didn't realize that was happening. I'm glad they're there, by the way. 
But I would have liked to hear them to hear this message. For those of you young people who are here, those of you who are teenagers into your young adulthood, I'd ask you to pay very close attention for the next few moments. You see, we live in a very sex-saturated society. It disturbs me that even in the commercials that so many of them have this underlying message in them. And, and usually I either turn them on mute or, or switch away from them or something because it upsets me. You know, when I was your age, young people, I basically did not know anything about God. I did not go to church on Sunday because it was just another day of the week. I did not read the Bible. I did not know the words of hymns. I did not know what the rainbow signified until my very young wife explained it to me, and it amazed me. I did not know. Well, I think you get the picture. But one thing I did know, and that is having sex outside marriage was wrong. Two people just living together or shacking up, as the term was back when I was a young person, without being married, was looked down upon by everybody in the community. If a, girl got, if a girl got pregnant outside of marriage, she was often sent away from her home to have the baby someplace else. And if the girl didn't go away, the young man was expected to marry that girl and provide for her and for the child that he had fathered. What's my point? My point is this. If non-Christians know that certain moral choices are wrong in society, especially those who name the name of Christ should know the difference between what is morally right and what is morally wrong. So, if you are just living with your boyfriend and girlfriend, even if you intend to get married down the road, if you are just living with your boyfriend or girlfriend, it's wrong. You're morally wrong, and you need to repent and change the way you are living. You see, the fence always has been and always will be. The fence around sex is marriage between a man and a woman. And that's the only kind of marriage that God accepts, and that's the only way God accepts us to exercise the sexual part of our being. And now to the rest of us who are older, because I know many people who are married who make this mistake as well and have affairs outside their marriage or leave their wife or husband for a younger, newer model. Listen to the words of Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Walking the narrow road 
is one step at a time. Martin Luther King said, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. See, Abraham, who is known as the father of the faithful, believed God. So he took the first step by leaving behind his home, his security, the customs that he was used to, his extended family in Ur of the Chaldees. Now, how many of you would do that? Now, I know there's some of you who have, who are here, and have come from other countries and left behind many of these things. And my hat's off to you. But how many of the rest of us would, would make that kind of a decision in our lives? Raise your hand, if you would. Very few. I don't think I even saw one hand to be raised. Let me ask you another question. How many of you would step into the old Red River at flood stage? Just step off the bank and step into the river. See, when the Israelites came to the Jordan River, which was at flood stage at the time, the priests were told to step into that river. And by faith, they believed God and they took that step into that flooded river and the river parted. And they walked across the river. You see, they had faith. They obeyed God. And I can't close without a couple of powerful verses from Proverbs because the proverb writer has so many good things to say. Proverbs 16:17. The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He who watches his way preserves his life. And Proverbs 16, verse 7, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? If you have not yet obeyed the gospel, I ask you to consider God, to consider taking the first step of faith. On to the narrow road that leads to heaven, that leads to life. When you do that, your name is recorded in the book of life. You are known by God, by your name. At the end of the journey, you'll see the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will meet the redeemed of all the ages. I invite you to enter and to walk the narrow road that leads to life everlasting. And be certain of this. At the end, the results are absolutely going to dazzle you because it is out of this world. Thank you.